Father, we come before you as we always do. We lack understanding in so many areas. And we know that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And I pray, Lord, that we would pay attention. That we would not simply be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. And we would certainly avoid the errors of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of those who opposed Jesus when he was here. We ask that we would not set up things against you, idols, Lord, and hold on to them. We ask that you would help us to have a heart that is subtle or supple and not worry about the cares of life that so easily entangle us. But, Father, we pray that you would help us just to sit at your feet and learn from you. For you are the good shepherd, and we are your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Pharisees, specifically in the Sadducees by extension, they held on to their traditions as we have been talking about. And religion was always emphasized in the outward, but God emphasizes what we must do on the inward. If the inward is taken care of, the outward will just flow. And Matthew, we'll just review here. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, beginning in verse 1. We're just going to read through. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me as a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. So they venerated their tradition over the exposition of the word. And they were offended because Jesus told them they were making a mistake. And he said, you hypocrites. Now, he said this with a crowd there. And it it was meant to bring shame to them. That's why he did it. And it's difficult when shame is brought in any form. But shame comes because of pride. Because somebody has to rebuke or admonish or correct us in the presence of others. And we always want to avoid something like that, but sometimes it's unavoidable, just as Jesus did here. And we started getting into the things that offend. And I listed those things for you last week. The the mindset that we have, the way that we view things needs to be the way that it is, at least for us, ourselves, in our lives, and maybe by extension to others, because that's what we feel is right. Rather than going to Scripture and looking what Scripture says, what is right And what is wrong? Now, the things I talked about were medicinal marijuana is not medicinal. Recreational drug use without repentance leads to damnation. Abortion is evil. The non-binary gender designation is foolishness. Gay marriage is sinful and not accepted by God and will be judged. Sexual relationship outside of marriage is one of the reasons God's wrath is coming. Homelessness is a a blight on society and should not be protected as a right. Capital punishment should be enforced. God wants boundaries for countries and nations, nationalism versus globalism. And these are just, like I said last week, a few 
of the things that we have our own opinions on. And God says, in not so directive a way, he doesn't come to us and say, your opinions mean nothing. He doesn't tell us that. But he does say his word is everything. And so our opinions come in line to a secondary position of what God's opinions are. And when I talk about these things, if, especially if I was to talk about these things in a situation outside of church, many would be offended. For instance, if I, say, if I said climate change is not going to lead to the uh, destruction of the earth, there are those who are out there that would become apoplectic, turn red in the face, their veins would pop out of their head, and they would be upset that I would say such a thing. But there is truth when it comes to this. Now, does God deal with climate change? He does. You might say, well, where does he deal with that? In the book of Revelation, guess what happens? The earth is destroyed and its climate is just kind of wiped out. That's when it's going to happen. Do you think we're going to make it happen before then? No, we're not. Because God told us what to do and how to live in this life and how we're to continue And we're not to be concerned about the climate. God has things under control. You think God ever gets taken off guard like, oh, I let that one get away from me. You know, that storm wasn't supposed to happen. No, he he has everything in control. All the elements. He holds everything together. And will there be the destruction of the planet? Yes. But it's it's at least... 1,007 years, maybe a little bit more away. It could be 1,030 years and 1,010 years. We know it's at least that far away where it's going to happen. And so we don't have to worry about it now. But people get offended by taking positions which they think are political, but they are actually moral. All politics is based in morality. This was a political act where you can keep what you would devote to God. It's all yours because a particular religious party said it was okay and it was the politics of it. And Jesus comes along and says, would you just help your parents out? Your parents need some help. You hypocrites, make sure your parents are taken care of instead of keeping this stuff for yourself and put it in under the guise that, well, it's a gift devoted to God and I can't give it to you. So he goes on. Then the disciples came to him and asked him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Let me ask you something. If you go up to somebody with forethought and determination and say, you hypocrite, do you think they're going to be offended? Well, if they're humble, they say, what what did I do wrong? Is there some correction I need to make? But how many people do that? Not many. They start on the attack back. And that's where if you rebuke a fool, he will... He will scorn. He will just ridicule you if you do something like that. And by the way, this word that says here that they were offended, it's skandalizo in the Greek, which we get our word scandal or scandalized, which means shocked, outraged, appalled, offended, horrified, or disgusted. And you could see the Pharisees going... The nerve of that guy. And they probably were just, oh, that's that's it. We've had, just come on, let's go. And they grab their robes and they throw them around and they start walking away. Something like that. Then he teaches his disciples 
every plant, verse 13, that my father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. And so he immediately goes to this metaphoric, symbolic little story. He has a second one here. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Now, they weren't blind physically, but certainly they were blind spiritually. And Peter said, explain the parable to us. He goes, are you still so dull? Now, how would you like to be, Peter? Are you still, in our vernacular, are you still so stupid that you don't know what I'm talking about? And Peter probably shrank back a little bit at that point. And he goes on to explain what's going on. Every plant that is in a garden that is not planted by the gardener or the owner of the garden is going to be pulled up and thrown away. Now, if you plant a garden, do weeds come up? They certainly do. In my backyard, I once planted a garden back there and sumac was coming up there's a sumac plant that's native around here had some sage the uh, western sage that was back pulling that stuff up too you had the spotted spurge you're pulling that up the purslane you're pulling that up i didn't plant any of that stuff but it was coming up and so i went to the garden and said, you are not allowed in this garden and jesus is telling the pharisees they have been growing in a garden where they weren't planted And they're going to be pulled up and rooted, which means there's going to be judgment which lies ahead for them. Also, blind guides. He accused the Pharisees of being blind spiritually, that they did not know what they were talking about. They were grasping out in the open without being able to see what what they were trying to reach for. It was all before them, but they could not see what was right in the eyes of God. So first, God will judge the Pharisees by condemning them on the last day. Second, if anyone follows the Pharisees in their teaching, they will be harmed or even perish. And third, we are never to place our traditions and opinions above Scripture. That's what's being taught here in this little story that is given to us. Now remember, for us, it's in all of these areas that we think are political or just everyday life that we're supposed to hold up the scripture and say, well, what does God have to say about that? How am I supposed to act? You know, take, take the one, the homelessness. We have views as Christians of what homelessness is and how it should be handled. And our views are as varied as all the opinions which are out there inside the church. We don't have a thumbtack that we can put down, put it up on a bulletin board with this little notice and say, this is our position, this is what we hold to. There are some that would say, feed them no matter what, clothe them no matter what, house them no matter what, because our God is a God of compassion, which we will get to. He feeds 4,000. He he just gives them food because he has compassion on them. And the word compassion, it has to do with the bowels. He, he felt it. What can I do for these people? And there are homeless out there, and that's how you look at them. You go, what can I do for that homeless person? They are truly in need. They, they need my help. I was talking to a person who is greatly involved in the East County program to help the homeless over here. And I was in his office, and I was talking with him. And I asked him to explain to me, should we help them? Should we give them food? Should we give them clothing? Should we meet with them on a regular basis and do that? And this guy, he actually contributes. He runs it. He hires people from the program. 
And he said, absolutely not. And, you know, I, I was going, well, why? Why shouldn't we help them? By the way, if you drive through El Cajon, you will now see in some of the medians little signs that say, do not support panhandling. Even El Cajon gets it. But is that not being uncompassionate or dispassionate about the homeless? No, because there are people that are homeless that need help. They, they have fallen on hard times, and our God is a God of compassion, and we're supposed to assist them. But this gentleman was telling me that more than 95% of the people out there want to be out there. We used to have a homeless guy coming by here. I don't know what's happened to him. His name is Ronnie. And I've known him for years and years and years. And he would come in, and I would talk to him about getting him into a mission and changing his life. And he goes, yeah, I need to do that. And I said, well, meet me here tomorrow. And he goes, no, I'm not going to do that. And he would show up with two beers in his pants pockets at 9.30 in the morning. And, and he just wanted to be out there. He didn't want to change. You know, there is scripture. And I'm, I'm, what I want to do is bring balance to how we view scriptural issues. Because even when I talk about homelessness, I have the potential to offend somebody who's in here. And that's not my intent. My intent is to simply bring the light of Scripture how we're supposed to act. And this is just one of the areas. I could do this with any one of the areas. Just so happened I felt the Lord wanted me to talk about this. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 26 says, The laborer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. If you're always providing food for somebody who is homeless, what happens to his motivation? It goes away. There is no reason to have the person... Go out there and get a job. You know, the, again, the political movements which are out there today are all based on morality. And what are you hearing as this political season to the next election starts? And by the way, I need to take a parenthetical thought. You might be saying, why is he talking about some political stuff? Why is he doing that? You know, people, I, I just saw it on a little clip on it was some show. I saw some show and it, it, it's like, you don't talk about religion and politics. Why? Because people don't want to be told what to do. Why? Because there's absolute truth. Well, what about that? That means we're all accountable. And if you don't want to be accountable, there is no absolute truth. You do it right, right in your own eyes and you don't have to listen to anybody else talk about religion and politics. Yet everybody wants to talk about religion and politics. If you talk to somebody, even on the street, say, hey, can I ask you a question? I have a question about God. You think they're going to run from you and scream and holler and say, don't talk to me. No, they're going to want to talk about this stuff. These are the issues of life where we take the scripture, like helping our parents, and we apply the scripture. We don't do like the Pharisees and say, no, I'm going to keep what I have because I want it, but the political movement says this is the right thing to do, the political religious movement, and so that's what I'm going to do. And as they religious movement, Christianity, we have gotten into, quote-unquote, the politics of homelessness, which it's all moral, it's not immoral, and it's just how do we look at it, how do we help it? And so the politics which is out there today, what do they want to do? They want to give education for free all the way through college, right? They also want to give free medical care. They also want to give food. What is the reason to have a job? If you give all of those things, what's the reason? There is no reason. For instance, uh, you know, the migrant, that's another hot topic which is out there. And by the way, I don't shy away from the hot topics. The language has been changed from illegal alien 
to undocumented worker to migrant to get rid of the stigma because we don't want anybody to feel bad. Well, this is what we're doing. A migrant comes across. If they have children, they get a $1,000 check for child care from the government that you are paying. Once they get that $1,000 check, some of these migrants are creating their own child care units. So the $1,000 goes to the migrant child care unit, and that unit hires the mother of the child, pays a minimum wage, and as long as they make minimum wage for the rest of their life, they get about $2,500 housing allowance. Where is the need to get a job? And why should we have a job? Scripture says God wants us to have a job so that we might have something to share with someone else. You see, and we've, there is a problem with it, but we're handling it wrong. It's not that we're not to be compassionate. We're to have compassion on these people. And and we're supposed to exercise that compassion. But if we do it improperly, like this, you go to San Francisco. They have some big problems up in San Francisco. First they decided, well, we're going to have a needle exchange program. And they come out and they start saying, we have a real problem. We're finding needles all over the streets and somebody could get hurt. Well, and then what happens? People become homeless because of the drug problem. Well, once they become homeless because of the drug problem, then there's a problem with, I'll just say it nicely, messes on the street. And you know how much they're paying people to clean up the messes on the street? Per person, $175,000 a year. Oh, and we need to raise taxes in order to support those who clean up the messes on the street. It's like, wait a second, are we doing something wrong here? And this is the way the whole country is going. Remember last week I talked to you about uh, some of the states, New York and California and Colorado, that have legalized marijuana? Well, and I told you, it looks like they're going to vote on psilocybin or magic mushrooms. Well, they passed that one. And now it's going to be okay to have magic mushrooms in the state of Colorado. And you know what they're saying is a good reason for it? Well, because it treats PTSD. You know, I could probably make a case, and I haven't looked into it, but I could probably make a case that heroin could have some additional value. Maybe even PCP. Maybe even cocaine. Matter of fact, if you're falling asleep, or speed, if you're falling asleep, just take some of that and you'll be able to be more productive. You want to lose some weight? Just There's some medical benefits to it. What drug out there doesn't provide some medical benefit? Or what about this? If, if you feel like, you know, I'm so depressed, I'm so down, I just need something. Well, here, let us give you this drug. Now, please understand, I believe that there are times where we need to give prescription drugs. We need to help people. There's no question about it. I'm just talking about the wave of the country, the way that it's going. And we all have our opinions about this. And when a Christian stands up and says, this is wrong, don't do this, I'm so offended. What? You know, I just want to tell you, there's this thing called absolute truth. And then they say, no, there's not. And you say, do you believe that absolutely? And then it presents to them the case of truth. Either there is truth or there is not truth. And we need to be able to engage society 
in a non-offensive way. I don't want to go to the people that hold different views than Scripture, not mine, other views than Scripture, and beat them upside the head verbally. I don't want to do any of that. I, I want to be like Priscilla and Aquila, who showed Apollos a more excellent way. Now, do I have all the answers for this? No, I, I don't have all the answers for this, but I know definitely what is wrong. And you can see it in Scripture. And if we use those things, if God tells us to avoid this, avoid it. Like if a man's appetite works for him and hunger drives him, him on, let's work on getting that man a job. If he has a problem with drugs, we know that those who practice witchcraft, pharmacia, drugs, and revelation will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's get him help for some drugs. If there's somebody who's truly homeless and needs to step up, let's get him some help. Let's do that. The other issue with that is the government has come in and taken the role of the church. And when you go to the government or non-church organizations all the time that are supported by the government then people are never accountable. And they just say, okay, well, we'll we'll feed you once a week or once a month or we'll give you free medical care or whatever you need and we'll make everybody else pay for it. And then you get into the idea, by the way, you have a percentage in your mind when it comes to this. Taxes. What percentage of taxes in your mind, you don't have to say anything, but what percentage of taxes when the government takes both local, state, and federal that they take from you, what percentage of your income would be immoral for them to take? Would it be if they took 90% of your income? Would that be immoral for them to take? Would it be 50% of your income? Would it be 20% of your income? You know, Scripture has a number when it comes to that. Now, the Old Testament, the Jews had a number that they worked with, and then Rome came in and they imposed another one on top of those in the New Testament. And so by the time you get all done, you may be working for the man, so to speak, when it's all said and done. And this is difficult, and then that takes away your ability to help others. That takes away your ability to help your family. So at what point does it become immoral? And some people think, well, the government needs to take care of everything. But what if you shifted all of that to the church? It might be pretty good. But the government has come in and taken away the church. That's why year after year or decade after decade, they have taken the amount that you would give to the church, the amount that you can deduct from your taxes, it has slowly gone down in percentage-wise. So if you give 100 bucks, maybe you can only deduct 20 from your taxes, where it used to be much higher. And so there is this move, and by the way, the government is part of the world. Even though God sets it up, the world is going astray. And we're not to love the world or the things of the world. So we have all these issues that we have our opinions on, and we're not supposed to adhere to our own opinions. We're to adhere to God's opinion. The Pharisees didn't want to do that, so that's why they were offended. Now, Jesus said it in a way that would bring the offense to the forefront. But even if we don't do that in the way that Jesus did, people are still going to be offended. But that does not relieve us from our responsibility to speak the truth when we have the responsibility. And those who live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. People will look at you like, oh, you religious zealot, you. What is with you? Well, 
you know, that's what Scripture calls us to do, is be a witness for what is right, just, and fair according to God's standard, not a standard that we make up. Now, Jesus goes on in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 25. says, Don't you see whatever enters a mouth goes into the stomach and then out the body? And this is to the objections that the Pharisees had, that the disciples were not washing their hands properly before they ate. But the things that come out of a mouth go from the heart, or come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean, but eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. So what he's saying is the wickedness in our own hearts. Now I'm going to dredge up a little bit for you here. Has there been anybody in your past, I know there hasn't my past, that has really made you upset, made you mad, made you fume? Yes. We all have somebody, and you're, you're going in your mind right now to who that person or who those people are. How dare they? And then you start thinking about what you'd like to do to them. How'd you like to repay them? And I've admitted to you before that I have that in my heart too. I, you know, I, I'm not as pure as the wind-driven snow. My heart is just as black as anybody else, and I have to fight my heart. Uh, I, I expressed this story or communicated this story several years ago. The first time I had a run-in in business where somebody was unjustly withholding money, and I did the work, and I know that I did it right, and everything was done according to how we agreed, and they decided, well, I'm not going to pay you that much. I, oh, I tell you, I, I knew how I could kill their entire landscape. And I thought about it, how I would do it, how I would get what I needed, how I would put it out where I needed to do it. I'm not going to give you the hint to how that would be, but I, I just, I just knew I could do this. You know, I'm thinking about it and thinking about it. And, and the Lord goes, uh, excuse me. And I go, What? You know, I, I didn't want to listen to the prompting of the Spirit or, or if you find out somebody is slandering against you and talking bad about you, you want to confront them and, and make them feel humiliated and just run them over the coals and read them the riot act, all of those things. And God says, <clears throat> you know that that happened to me? And you go, what's oh, the Lord? You're taking away my fun. Don't do, I love feeling like this and the anger, the hatred, the discord, the jealousy, the fits of rage, all of those things that he says here in verse 19, murder. We want to go murder somebody. And God says, if you're angry at your brother without a just cause, then you're guilty of murder and in danger of judgment. And that's just if you have the thought. And so if you get the thought going on, we're supposed to stop the thought. But others would tell you, no. Did, did I communicate to you guys the article, or somebody told me about CBS, I think it, Pat, it was you, the CBS one where they said, just give in to your emotions and your anger. Maybe it wasn't Pat. I think it was in the men's group. CBS had this, and they ran this report that said, just give in to your anger. Just If you need to yell and scream and cuss and do all those things, go ahead. You know, they tried that. They had this psychotherapy, this room that was padded, and you'd go in there and you'd beat your head against the padded columns or the walls, and you'd scream and you'd yell. You know what they found out? It led to more violence outside the room. 
If you give into that, it leads to more. And so God says, don't do it. Mark chapter 7, verse 18 through 23 gives even a more detailed description. He talks to his disciples about this same event. He says, are you dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, which is unbridled lust, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, recklessness, and thoughtlessness. All of those things originate in our hearts. That's what's in there. Have you ever heard somebody say of someone else, oh, they have such a good heart? Yeah, it's not true. It is not true at all. This is what is in the heart of every human being. It's just the right circumstances have to dredge it up. And when those circumstances come along, and by the way, the Lord allows those circumstances to come along. So that stuff will come up, and God says, see? And we go, no! I don't like this because the Holy Spirit brings conviction to us, but our flesh just loves it and wants to use it like a barbecue. This is going to taste so good. You know, this revenge. What, what is the saying? Revenge is best served cold, something like that. You know, where you just plot how you're going to go against somebody. So it, the physical food on the outside and the practice of washing your hands, that's not what makes somebody unclean. It's in the heart. And once you realize that, well, how do you get rid of that? In this fleshly body, we cannot. We want to, but we can't. But the Holy Spirit lives in us, and he brings to us gentle conviction, and he is a gentleman about this. And the conviction comes along, and if we're submissive to God, we say, you're right, God. Please help me. I need to change this. And God tells us in his word, you're not going to get this right until you have your new nature and your new body. Until then, we do our best. And we will fail, but we do our best to conform what we believe to be right, just, and true to what God thinks is right, just, and true. And not hold on to the deceit, the malice, the lewdness, all of those things, the slander, the arrogance, all of that stuff. God says, suppress it. Do not let it come out. And those people of the world, the psychologists and the psychiatrists out there, who say, give in to those feelings. They are also leading you down the wrong path. God requires that we are disciplined. That's why he gives us his Holy Spirit to exercise self-control. But again, we're all going to blow it. And that's where the grace comes in. As brothers and sisters... We turn to each other. If the admission is there, it's like you put your arm around and say, I know we're in the same struggle. I'm going to be praying for you that you have some strength, that you can make it through this time. And that's what God calls us to do. And that's that's the kind of compassion that God has for everyone else. Verse 21 says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. In this area, by the way, he, he didn't take a bus. He didn't take a vehicle. He walked, Tyre was 35 miles away, 
And Sidon was 60 miles away from the area of Galilee that he was working in. How would you like to walk 60 miles? I mean, you'd be up in Orange County somewhere. Okay, start today and start walking. That's how far Jesus went to get the word out. And at this place, a Canaanite woman, verse 22, came from the vicinity, or from that vicinity, came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Now, she was not a Jew. She was a Syrophoenician Greek, is who she was. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So Jesus was sent to Israel. That was his primary task. But there was occasion where somebody who wasn't a Jew would be ministered to. Now, he called her a dog. Now, in the vernacular of our day, if you call especially a woman a dog, it's not a compliment. It's something that is derogatory. It's something that is meant to insult. And even if you called a man that, it's, it's not something that is uplifting. Now, back then, anybody who was not a Jew was just called a dog. It was just like, a, you're a dog, you know, and, and we're the chosen race. That's just the way it is. And it didn't matter if you were Scythian or barbarian or Greek. It, it was just, they were a dog. And so that's what Jesus is doing, is just designated that he was not sent to anyone else except for the Jews. And then she takes on the moniker of dog. And she says, yes, but even the dogs sit at the master's feet at the table and wait for the crumbs to fall. And of course, Jesus did this, I'm sure he knew what he was doing, to draw out this woman's faith so that everybody could see it, as opposed to what was right before this. The Pharisees who refused to have faith. There are those in the world that say, hey, I get it, I want it, tell me what to do. And then there's those in the church that say, no way, no how, my tradition is sacred. And the Jews had a tradition of not talking with, not engaging with, not having anything to do with those who were non-Jews. They didn't, unless they absolutely had to, they would not engage with anybody who was non-Jew. And here's Jesus. He's kind of keeping the line, the toe of the line that everybody else sees. And then he decides, ah, we're going to draw out this woman's faith. And she proved faithful in this. She humbled herself before him and he blessed her and complimented her on the great faith that she had. Verse 29, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet. And he healed them. The people were, it says amazed here, but they were awestruck. This is a jaw-dropping event. When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people. Have you guys seen those? um, There's two types of videos that are on the Internet. One is a deaf person 
who gets an implant and has never heard before and they turn it on, an ocular implant, and as soon as they hear it, do you know what happens to them? They break into weeping. Their hands come out and their face goes into their hands and they start weeping the first time that they hear. If you haven't seen those, you need to see that. There's one of a little baby. They're, they're put, they put the uh, operation on and they put the earbud on. The baby just fighting left and right and, and then they turn it on on the computer and all of a sudden the baby goes and starts looking up and like everything is wonderful and then the mom starts crying because the baby hears it, it's heart moving to see that another one is there is this one guy people are colorblind one out of 12 men are colorblind I just took a test yesterday I'm not colorblind but they have these glasses for men that are colorblind and they is Eric colorblind Eric's colorblind I remember that now but they have these glasses that you can put on for a colorblind individual and they can see colors, vibrant colors, which are out there. And there's one video of this guy. He probably weighs 250. He has no hair on his head. He has his walrus mustache and his shirt's out to here and he's walking out in his short. He's like a man's man, an old guff type of guy. And they give him this birthday present of these glasses. What's this? You know, and he takes them out and he opens them. He looks at them like that and he looks around and he puts them on. He starts looking around, goes down, and he puts them back on. And all of a sudden, you see him just start to weep. He grabs his eyes and he has to wipe his eyes. It's just an emotional time. And you can hear the people in the background just starting to sniffle, you know, because it's such a great thing. And you watch those types of little clips or sometimes the proposals. You know, the woman, she just, oh, like that. And she just starts weeping when the proposal comes. It's completely unexpected, all of those things. And it's so emotional. That's the compassion that Jesus is talking about here. I have compassion. The bowels, I feel it in here. You feel it on the inside. And Jesus had that for these people who were in need. And so he decided to reach out to them. He goes on and he says, They have been with me already three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Really? Do you just remember? 15 to 20,000 people were fed. Remember that? And they picked up 12 basketfuls afterwards. They're asked, where are we going to get the bread? they? And so Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked, seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down. This is a do-over. Sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciple picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. So here again, Jesus is feeding. He probably fed a total of thirty to 40,000 people with just a few loaves and fish. 
And of course, we got some of the application of that. But you know, there are all kinds of interpretations of this from the commentaries. Uh, here's one. Five loaves and 5,000 refers to the Pentateuch, five books of the Old Testament. I, I read that and I go, what? Well, how, did, how did you get that? And 12 basketfuls refers to 12 tribes. 4,000, the use of seven loaves and baskets, refers to the spiritual completion of perfection when both Jews and Gentiles will be fed by him. And I, how did you get the numbers to correlate to that? People are just making up stuff, pulling it out of thin air. Well, what does it really mean? I'll tell you next week. <laughs> We're actually out of time. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for the teachings of Jesus and him being straightforward, speaking the truth, opposing those who are proud and having compassion on those who are in need. Father, help us to be like Jesus, where we're able to withstand the movement of society and governments and the wantingness that results from their policies and their actions. Help us to stand up and speak the truth, but speak it in love. Bring what is offensive in a non-offensive way. And Father, we'll trust you for sorting out the details. But Lord, when it comes to having compassion on people, we ask that you would help us too in this area. For our focus is mostly on ourselves, what is good for us. And help us to crucify ourselves, live for you, and be led by the promptings of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.